0: Hard
1: work is good, but smart work is on a whole different level. When you work hard, you're just working. When you work smart, you're working hard on the right things for specific results. That's Tim Glover, CEO of Attack Athletics. This is Rack Your Weights Podcast. I am Brandon Janeka, founder of True Grind Systems in Leander, Texas. I have Shane Davenport, founder of Exceed Sports Performance and Fitness in New England. Good morning, Shane. Hey, what's up, man? This is the first episode of this podcast. We are here to be a source, a reliable source, to help you through your strength and performance journey of being the best athlete you can be. Today, we're gonna talk about four common myths that we hear about constantly. Let's let's get going, let's get started. Starting off, myth number one, more soreness equals a better workout.
0: I think this is a common one that people talk about a lot. Hopefully, it gets talked about more and more. But you don't have to be crushed every time you leave the gym. I guess you, depending on your goal. But unless your goal is just to be crushed, there's probably better uh, better methods to the madness. We'd say. Uh, what do you think on that one? Yeah, yeah. More soreness equals better workout. Um,
1: for the most part, no no that's not that's not exactly true um uh soreness what soreness is is basically micro tears in the muscle cause inflammation and that is your that's your doms delayed onset muscle soreness happens what 48 to 72 hours post workout and it's from the micro tears from the resistance training or from the lift itself um it's risky because lifting training for performance lifting weights it's a it's a long-term goal there it's not a sprint it's a um it's a campaign that you make to become the best athlete you can possibly be so when you're looking at total volume long term in a month and you crush yourself day one so bad that you're debilitating yourself with with Massive amounts of soreness and you have to take it easy for the next three four days well your volume over that week is is Diminished right so so you might have gotten um, You know a killer workout day one but day two day three day four and possibly even day five you're You're subpar you're, you're you're barely moving uh, y- your movement quality itself is 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 low is bad uh, you're at a higher risk of injury and over time that's just gonna lead to less time in the weight room less volume less uh, less progress
0: yeah there's a time and a place like early off seeds and stuff you haven't done volume like you spoke on uh as much you start getting into it you create some soreness kind of expected you get a little closer to that season maybe your goal shouldn't be soreness and fatigue as much as it is to run faster and and be ready to compete that's when your your goals dictate how much volume you're doing and like i said time and a place a lot less time for uh debilitating soreness than people think. If you're a an f- Instagram model and your whole job is just doing crazy workouts and it's making you money, okay. But most of our uh listeners and almost all of our clients are there to get better, not just sore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We we train athletes who lift beyond the aesthetics um, training for performance. And if you're training for performance Muscle soreness does not equal better workout. Um, Awesome. Myth number two, pushing to failure is necessary. What are your thoughts on that one?
0: Yeah, it's uh, actually very similar to the first one. There's a time and a place. There's planning that goes into this stuff and failure and missing especially especially when you actually miss these limitation lifts that's when you get issues so we've seen kids push to failure multiple times a week for years and and kind of plateau and stagnate on some some of their big lifts and it's funny to watch them back off a little bit save a little more in the tank get quality reps in over the quantity all the time and when you can tie a improvement in their performance to lifting to failure less often then you get that buy-in for the future but it is a necessary part of some training it's just very rare in our stuff I don't know about you guys but we fail as little as humanly possible in the weight room
1: yep yep i uh I definitely like doing it sometimes uh what I usually tell the athletes is always leave one to two reps in the tank go until you have one to two reps in the tank and that's what we call till failure um, it's really it's really pushing to mechanical failure and not absolute failure is what you really should be striving for and on top of that pushing till failure is not attacking strength gains pushing till failure is you know, hypertrophy training, pushing till failure, obviously mindset comes into play. And those both have huge benefits to performance training. But like you said, time and a place, know where you're at in your training, know when to do it, strategically pick the right time to push till failure, pick the right exercise to push till failure. It's a lot easier to go to mechanical failure or go to, uh, you know, one to two reps in the tank with more of a simple single joint exercise. Versus going till failure on like uh, massive squats or, or deadlifts or you know something like that, but you know hamstring curls till failure, um, I'm a fan. Um, you know, uh, j- just just single joint exercises are are a lot a lot more safer to uh, to push till failure than than the big complex movements. Um, yeah, uh, even uh, there is there is a high level of risk of pushing to fa- failure constantly. Uh, we had an incident at a local high school where one of our guys actually got uh, rhabdo. Uh, rhabdo is short for rhabdomyolysis, my- my- rhabdomyolysis, myolysis. myolysis. Yep. And what that is 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 basically the uh, the muscle fibers die and then break down and they enter the bloodstream. Uh, I, I, poisoning, poisoning the body, and it, it, it can have lifelong effects. Obviously, that's a that's a spectrum on on rhabdo on how bad it is, but it can absolutely have lifelong effects. And that that athlete or that coach, I mean, um, for this high school was was just under that myth one more soreness equals better workout, pushing till failure. Uh, he's trying to. To get mental toughness he's trying to weed out the week i get it all all of those um are great you know bringing a team together doing stuff that sucks brings a team together i get it all that has a time and a place but as the coach you have to be smart you have to know what you're doing you can't just play around with these young men and women and think their bodies are just literally bulletproof they're not you can hurt them you can create really, really uh, lifelong chronic effects if you're, if you're negligently um, prescribing exercise and if you're just doing stuff to, to make them suffer and you, you extend that over, you know, a few weeks and you don't allow them to recover, that's when the body's going to backfire on itself and, it's, you know, rhabdo becomes a very real thing. Uh, and it's it's sad it's very sad because that athlete is think he's doing everything right that athlete is pushing through the pain he to to go to rhabdo to go to that point you have to have mental toughness and that athlete is demonstrating it to the highest level and then all of a sudden boom he gets the consequence of of this rhabdo this uh this disease that will come in and and just just crush his his strength gains and now good luck playing that season good luck playing next season you're on like a a major rehab from that and um, that was one of the saddest things i ever had to deal with in uh in my career is is telling uh a 17 year old young man or, or or hearing that story from a 17 year old young man and, and his mom that uh that the coach did that and and he was one of the only ones that got it because he pushed himself the hardest. And um, and that was very unfortunate. That was uh th- that was bad. Um but yeah, pushing till failure is not necessary.
0: Yeah, you hear about um, those rhabdo cases in college football a lot. Um I have a few clients on a team that they had three or four guys in the last season get it. It's pretty wild. And most of the time, it's someone who's in pretty good shape that just can't handle the amount of volume that they push to. But it should never really happen, especially in a sport that is very low on the lactate threshold, right? You don't really need to mm-hmm. be crazy conditioned for football. You need to be able to do explosive reps over and over, not long, drawn-out, crazy failure conditioning that makes sense
1: yeah yeah it makes total sense your conditioning should be specific to your goals um running the marathon is not specific to playing football playing baseball um yeah just two different things two different uh uh, (laughs) prescriptions all right moving on to myth number three it is necessary to deload every fourth week what do you got on deloading every 4 weeks, Shane?
0: As a general rule, if you're training at home and don't really know what you're doing, then sure, I guess you could you could plan a slightly less volume or slightly less weight or slightly less intensity, we call it, every 4 weeks, but if you have a decent plan in place, it's you don't need deloads all that often. Um if you get to the point where you think you need one mentally, then you probably do. And you probably already passed that point. But physically, if you're, if you're kind of waving your volumes, meaning some days you're lifting higher reps, um, some days or weeks you're doing a little heavier, and then you're taking a little less off the bar and doing some lighter stuff. If you're waving your intensities a little bit, you probably don't have to deload all that, all that often especially not every four weeks especially if you're young these kids adapt so fast they they're not even using weights or loads we call them that are appreciable enough to cause the the need for a deload so until you get a few years into your training and the weights start getting really heavy and the efforts are more draining we'll say you might not need a deload ever Um, but the athlete who is in later stages, they're elite level, late high school, college pro, they're training really hard and they're pushing their limits. Often those guys, they might need a little bit more frequent deloading, but we probably do it at the max, like every eight to 12 weeks. And it would be following a pretty good reach we'd pr- probably follow a plan that was uh, a week or two of pretty hard efforts then we would take a little bit lighter week or so but it's pr- pretty rare for younger high school kids
1: yeah i 100% agree with that deloading loading is is a week of reduced stress to avoid overtraining basically so every the traditional the traditional method is every fourth week, you kind of go 50%, not effort, but 50% intensity, uh, 50% weight, maybe cut down the sets, cut down the reps, cut down your volume, total volume, and you allow your body to recover. But there's so many things that go into whether you should deload or not. Um, your volume being being the big one, right? So volume for for a full week That means the athlete is coming in four, five, six, seven days a week. Their lifts are are very high in volume. Um, They're doing tons of, you know, uh, sleds, squats, deadlifts, bench. They're they're just doing massive, massive movements um, at a very high intensity. You know, at that point, yeah, yeah. the fourth, fifth, sixth week might call for a deload, but really, I try to allow the athlete's body to 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 tell us when when deload is 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 right. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, and and just with the simple questions, we can we can ask the athlete and, and see how they're doing. Um, outside stresses come into play. You know, uh, finals coming up or. Um, you know, September first just happened, so everyone was getting stressed out from talking to their schools, uh, and uh, that was adding more stress. So there's a lot of factors that go into play um, with with deloading, but man, if that athlete feels good, uh, send it, send it. Don't don't I don't I'm not a big fan of of. Uh, Strict deloads as in every fourth week you're deloading every sixth week. We're deloading. It's it's all dependent on how how uh, Consistent in and that that athlete has been as well as where they're at in their season I mean, I'll never deload an in-season program I mean that volume is so low that there's really no reason to deload an in-season program I mean, we're just doesn't mean we're not lifting heavy we're still lifting heavy in season no question uh but the volume is just so low that there's no need to to deload um that early off season though coming coming more into uh the the mid-level off season where we're getting a little bit more sport specific right before that uh that's a good time that i like to deload um yeah we obviously Go go ahead
0: so we we actually do Three, four, and six-week programs, typically, those are like the standard. Uh, Our first week of each program is a small deload. The week that they have to learn new patterns or if they have to learn um, the new setups and take a little more time figuring out how that one's going to work, the reps and sets are a little bit less than that fourth week or fifth week or sixth week. So they kind of get a miniature deload every time we start a new plan. And I, I just don't feel like they need like a an actual deload unless, like you said, you start getting those residual effects and you start seeing more of a diminished um, effort or they come in with a weird mood and stuff like that. Then you can start going, okay, this is, we got to get, we got to do something different. But if you can just plan slightly, lower volumes here and there you should be you should be fine yeah we do that same thing that
1: that first week week one of a brand new program is probably around 70 80 percent volume of week two um new exercises is going to increase soreness so we're try- trying to combat that a little bit yep. you know keeping our eye on the long-term uh progression
0: yep
1: awesome man all right myth four final myth for today this is a big one lifting will make you bulky
0: <laughs> yep
1: man I've heard that my entire career my entire career especially training uh, I started off training a lot of female athletes uh, particularly volleyball players and then moving into baseball um, there is a definite fear of of getting too bulky to move hmm. yep
0: we, uh, and,
1: and, and it really blows my mind.
0: Yeah, we, we deal with the same. We, we work with a lot of female athletes, college, high school. Uh, many of them, some of them are actually getting to the point where they ask to get bigger. Like they're seeing other uh, young women lifting and they like the fact that there's some muscle gains and stuff, but a lot of them are very concerned with getting too big. And I'm always like, hey, just look around the room look at all the high school boys trying to get big and it's not that easy as you can see they they're still trying and then you don't just look at a weight and get big some lucky people with crazy genetics kind of do but uh, uh takes a lot of time takes a lot of effort takes a lot of eating usually
1: to get that big yeah man uh you you you're spot on man what I what I always tell the athletes is nothing happens overnight the good and, and bad thing about you know sculpting your body is, in this case, a good thing. Nothing happens overnight. You're not going to wake up one morning so stiff that you can't put on your seatbelt. Like That's just not going to happen. It's going to be a slow progression. Uh, that's our job to maintain. That's why we constantly reassess athletes to make sure that we're not sacrificing proper ranges of motion uh, for, for muscle gain. Uh, we really don't want to do that. And If that starts to happen, then we just increase the volume on... On mobility exercises and go from there if it doesn't clean up cool We we'll, you might drop them down five pounds ten pounds and that's your competing weight the athlete feels good he moves well he's strong he's powerful and and there you go but really my my mindset on on that is gain weight until you have a reason not to like that reason is going to start off very subtle and if you're on top of it it shouldn't it should never it should never form into a major issue um, no. and that's where that's where you know you're, you rely on your coach and constant assessments to uh to make sure that that stuff is is staying on top of but but yeah i i definitely like being aggressive with with muscle gain with food um for sure i mean you you're just not gonna put on the weight that fast it's, it's just not gonna happen so
0: um yeah. yeah, man. We uh we deal with a good amount of pro day combine athletes starting in December and going through March and <clears throat> some of those kids actually have to gain like 20 pounds and still somehow run fast and jump high and play football and that is pretty tricky. So there is an argument against hey, don't get too big too fast. You might not you might not actually jump as high as you were but if you can manage and you can get an athlete to move as well or better at a bigger size it's typically an advantage like you said till it becomes For a sure. problem it's not a problem <laughs> simple right
1: yeah simple simple not easy um so right about now is, is when we want to we want to give advice advice that our listeners come uh send to us. Uh we're opening up an email, uh, rackyourweights at pelotero.com. Please send us any kind of questions that you want us to answer here on the podcast. For today's advice segment, let's just go back through the myths and let's just give our advice. Uh, more soreness equals better workout. So your advice, how much soreness is is good on a one to ten scale, 10 being you can't walk can't wash your hair, you know. Ten being you cannot move very well without pain. Um, one being you're you're, you're totally fine. Uh, one to ten scale. Where where should the athlete be in in soreness?
0: So I'll break it down like this. If you are working on thighs only uh, hypertrophy, right, growing, gaining muscle, you're probably going to want that soreness somewhat frequently in that like seven to eight range. Maybe if you're finishing up a speed workout and you're sprinting, your soreness should be very, very low one to two, three, that, that range. So goals will dictate how much soreness, like we talked about, I would keep soreness down when you're trying to be fast and explosive and closer to season or in season. And then early off season, trying to gain a little size, a little bit higher, probably five is the average point for normal off-season training. We'll say,
1: hundred percent. I uh, I think that's great. Off-season four or five, in-season two, three. I think I think that's broadly yep. speaking, that's great. Uh, pushing to failure. Uh, I already touched on this a little bit as far as advice goes. If you if you're gonna push till failure, push to mechanical failure. Um, I, you know, leaving one or two reps in the tank is is a good rule of thumb. Uh, when I was powerlifting, my powerlifting coach that's what that's what he would uh, instruct me to do, and it worked great. It, it was a great uh, mental feeling to you know get done with your your four five, six reps. I, I was going to a failure on, on a pretty high percentage or mechanical failure to a pretty high percentage. But um, it was awesome to rack that weight knowing that I had one to two. It, it, was, it was a very confident feeling. So as far as pushing to a failure, uh, if your program does call for it, I would suggest pushing to mechanical failure or always leaving one to two in the tank. Really never, ever going to absolute failure um or very 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 rarely going to uh absolute failure. You yeah, anything would, on myth two.
0: Yeah, I would just say if you want to, if it's like a mental thing or um there are some benefits, but I would keep the like you said the less complex, less dangerous movements like push-ups till failure. Cool. Get to that point where you can't actually get yourself off the ground without doing a poor rep mm-hmm. or we do a lot of uh, ISO lunge holds, like hold a lunge an inch off the ground, go till failure. cool. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We'll do it fairly often, I guess, but under the bar, heavy, heavy weights we don't we don't typically fail too often.
1: Deloading every four weeks. Um, man, i'd I'd say uh, pay attention. Uh, pay attention to. Your body and how it's feeling—that's a part of being a mature lifter. That's a part of of uh, maturing in the in the weight room—is is knowing how your body feels when it's good and knowing how your body feels when it's bad. But always paying attention to, um, you know, how long does soreness last when it when it does come about? Uh, what is your mood like? Uh, what is your energy level like? Uh, pay attention to any added stresses that that could cause. Uh, could cause uh extra stress on the body um and and yeah be looking to deload be looking at this you know within the probably 6 to 12 week range every 6 to 12 weeks i i I'd, i'd say that's good Four man if you're deloading every four weeks you are you have to be an absolute savage you're getting after it constantly daily uh long workouts possibly two a days Um, but yeah, I'd say on average six to 12 weeks every deload, but more importantly, listen to your body, uh, figure out what your body, how it acts when it's feeling good and, and how it, how it acts when you start to accumulate too much fatigue.
0: Yep. Nothing really to add. I'd say just, uh, vary your intensity a little, you just do some heavy stuff and some light stuff and. You should be fine as long as you're, like you said, listening to your body.
1: Lifting will make you bulky, man. If- what? what uh, I, I guess we already told told them what we tell the athletes. But is there's if there's anything else you'd like to say, man? What, what do you tell an athlete when they when they're afraid of
0: getting too bulky? So, oh, especially the people who are very concerned. Um, the same workout, two different people will have drastically different results in weight gain, all depending on calories and diet. If you're working hard and eating the amount of calories that you burn in that day, it's going to be hard to gain weight. You probably, probably have a real tough time gaining weight. So your diet and your nutrition will dictate how much size you're gaining. The training will dictate more of the quality of size you're gaining i'll say i agree with that
1: i agree with that i mean for the most part uh the more muscle you have the stronger you are the better you perform however as we both know there are diminishing returns on that which i think we are going to dissect on a whole new level in an upcoming podcast
0: yeah we mentioned probably talking about mass equals gas and how doesn't always equal gas uh yep. that'll be a fun one
1: yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that one man thank you for listening this is rack your weights podcast be sure to follow us on instagram at pelletero app and on youtube uh we'll be sure to have more episodes coming out soon thank you